Welcome to the Commercial Disco, the journey of commercial discovery, the only show dedicated to the great stories and people driving Australia's unique innovation and tech landscape. Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley. Today we're talking to Kate Pounder, the newly appointed Chief Executive Officer of the Technology Council of Australia. Hi, Kate, how are you going? I'm well, thank you for having me. All right, so we're going to dig deep into Technology Council of Australia or the Tech Council, as it's better known. Just a little bit of background on yourself. You have most recently come from Accenture or Alpha Beta by way of Accenture, I suppose. You're a founder of the Canberra office of Alpha Beta, which was subsequently acquired by Accenture. But your background has involved bouncing in and out of the public sector, spent time at Department of Communications. And was it NOE, the National Office of the Information Economy? Is that where you were? That was part of it, yeah. Network 10, McKinsey. So lots of different experiences to bring into this Tech Council of Australia, which launched a couple of weeks ago formally, but it had been telegraphed a little bit. I'm going to let you step through what is the Tech Council of Australia, what are its ambitions, and then we'll take it from there. Thank you. So the Tech Council is the new peak body for Australia's tech sector, and we define tech broadly. So we include direct tech sector as well as the activity that goes on in other parts of the economy, like banking and mining. But we also think about a tech ecosystem. So obviously there are not simply companies making tech, but there's VC firms funding them, many advisors supporting them. So essentially when we think about the tech sector, that full ecosystem and that activity that's going on right across the economy. And the Tech Council is a new peak body to speak for those businesses. And the reason we created it is that that tech sector activity is now effectively the third pillar of our economy. So the value of that activity is $167 billion a year. That makes it equivalent to the third biggest industry. It puts it just behind banking. And we think it's time that there was a peak body that could speak for that sector as a whole, That could speak to the range of issues, which are tax and growth issues, which are talent and skills and creating jobs, and also to work constructively with governments around regulation, because obviously technology is creating more and more questions for the way regulation should work, but I think also creating opportunities, because if you get that regulatory framework right, you often introduce more products and services more easily and more responsibly. So a key part was of the mission is to create that body that can speak for the sector across those range of issues that are so crucial to its growth and to have a single constructive voice that governments can deal with. So I've been quite fascinated, actually, mainly because you would have to say in the tech industry, like the last thing Australia needs is another industry association or body. But this one certainly comes with a lot of heft. There's a lot of gravitas. Look at the board of directors. got the Tesla chair, Robin Denham, as your chairwoman, Cliff Obrick from Canva, Anthony Ison from uh, Afterpay, Scott Farquhar Atlassian, obviously, uh, Kate Jones and Wyatt Roy as two former politicians. Kate Jones from Queensland as the Innovation Minister and Wyatt Roy, well known as the Federal Innovation Minister. Mina Radnakrishnan from Different and obviously yourself and Alex McCauley, who was a driving force behind setting up Tech Council of Australia. So massive heft on this body. I'm sort of interested to know in that genesis, like, are you expecting other industry associations to kind of gravitate into the fold? 
or you know you're carving out a completely separate area i mean we've got regtech and fintech and the aiia and the australian computer society there are no shortages yeah and look i think and i've you know throughout my career worked closely with those organizations and i think they each do a good job and you know they each have a purpose we've met with many of them and we're looking forward to collaborating with them I think, though, there's two gaps at the moment for tech sector firms. One is just having a single prominent peak body, so something akin, say, to the Australian Banking Association or to Free TV and the commercial television world or to a Australian Food and Grocery Council. So just a kind of peak body with the prominence and, as you say, the heft that they can work constructively and represent a full industry. And I think that's probably been one of the challenges is that in our industry, it encompasses so many sub-industries. We've formed really great associations to represent the sub-industries but haven't had a single voice across them and that sometimes diminishes our impact with government or it can make it appear as if the sector isn't as big as it truly is. So I think that's one gap we hope to play, but I think we'll be more effective in that role if we can work collaboratively with those other associations because there will always be times when they want to go deep on specific sector issues and we may not go that deep. There'll be times when we can really help the voice of the industry and get more impact on some of those really core concerns. And I think at the other end of the spectrum, it's just sometimes challenging. And I also work for the Australian Industry Group. It's the biggest industry association in the country. And sometimes the challenge as those peak bodies is that most of their members come from more traditional industries and their issues look different sometimes to tech firms. So in those industries, the workplace relations issues are probably awards-based wages. They're probably worrying deeply about whether their workers are getting vaccinated and, and the safety of them as they return to physical work. You know, often in the tech industry, our workplace issues are employee share scheme reform, getting access to skilled talent. And so Trying to balance representing different parts of the economy which have different answers on the same question can be hard. And I think just having one body that's there for tech sector firms across the economy can actually really help everyone have more impact for the industry we care about. So I think the name kind of sends a signal itself, Tech Council of Australia or Technology Council of Australia, like the Business Council of Australia, like Property Council of Australia, the Minerals Council, all of these large powerful industries i suppose and that's uh certainly the case here i wonder can you describe like i know you've got a lot of the foundation members are one thing and obviously that board is incredible in terms of you know this kind of new economy new company vibe who do you expect your members to be as you fill out over the next you know 12 18 months what's the sort of archetypal member we've had a lot of inquiries actually uh since launch so i think that I don't know that our membership profile will change necessarily from the profile of the founding members. I think it's just that we'll add people and so it'll increase, but hopefully the balance won't change. And I think what was great about that set of founding members was we had some of the most successful, fast-growing entrepreneurial Australian firms, so your Lassians and your Canvas and your Afterpays, but also the deputies and safety cultures and Coldramp different that we had some smaller firms but really up and coming ones like Sonda that we had multinationals like Google and Microsoft and Stripe as well as BC firms including Squarepeg and Airtree and, and Sequence Ventures for example and even an investment advisory firm in Jardin and also you know telco firms like Megaport so I kind of like actually that balance because I think it captures our tech ecosystem and what I hope with our membership is that we'll maintain that profile but just add more people and become even more representative than we are today. 
I'm interested to know whether you expect companies like the big banks to join. There's a couple of things. Like when you look at the Business Council of Australia, there must have been a temptation among those new unicorn and multi-multi-billion dollar valuation companies to simply move into a, a Business Council of Australia environment and shape the narrative from within. But it's gone the other way and set up this organisation. I think that the difference between a member association and a premium scheme is how aligned its members are in their priorities and their interests and their values. So, you know, our goal isn't just to bring on any new member we can or to kind of grow for growth's sake. Our goal is to find companies that have the same priorities as us or organisations even because we're talking to research groups and education bodies as well. Find the people who care about our priorities, which are how do we create you know, a million jobs by 2025 in tech-related areas? How do we contribute $250 billion to GDP by 2030? How do we make Australia the great place to create a company and scale it? And, you know, we think there are certain recipes for that. One is getting the tax and growth settings right. One is getting those skills and talent settings right. And one is getting the regulatory settings right. So my view is if there are people who share that vision, who share those policy priorities, who think that the work that we're doing is useful and they want to consider membership, we're really happy to consider them. But, you know, if people have different priorities or have different reasons for joining, then maybe that's not the best fit. But, yeah, I think it's finding the companies who share those values and priorities is what will make us a strong and representative group. Yeah, we'll be watching, obviously, because you look at the big four banks and they they are nothing if not technology companies, aren't they? That's why I say like there's more jobs, actually, tech-related jobs that sit outside of the direct tech sector, right? So I think there's actually times when we have a lot in common with what people wouldn't think about necessarily as a tech firm. So, And I think to the extent we align together and work together, we can actually have more impact than trying to all do it separately. I know that the launch of the Tech Council of Australia certainly had some political support. Prime Minister gave a message, Christian Porter, industry minister, shadow industry minister, you know, lots of, you know, big... Yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a bit like it wasn't a circus on the day, but it was certainly attracted a lot of interest. And I had people calling me to ask, well, you know, how do I, how do I get in contact with Kate Pounder, blah, blah, blah. So it has created a lot of interest. So I'm also wondering when we talk about things like, you know, obviously we're in a pandemic biotech and, you know, that is a kind of a, a data and information driven industry or even things in mining and resources sector there are huge opportunities in exploration all sorts of things that that are data and information related in manufacturing so we'll be watching with interest uh, how how that uh, portfolio of member companies builds out yeah i agree i think there's actually lots of exciting firms and tech going on right across the economy so i'm excited about that and we're talking with people i, I probably can't talk to members we've taken on recently but we'll make an announcement reasonably soon about a second wave of members and i think that will evidence the breadth of the tech sector okay i want to talk about the structure of the board very quickly because i also i I think this is very clever and quite nuanced i thought in the way that it's structured now to my understanding to qualify to become a board member you must be either a founder a ceo or a chair person is, is that right? So you've got, so Robin Denham is obviously chair of Tesla, which is yeah. an amazing person to have on board. And Cliff Anthony and Scott are obviously founder CEOs with Mina. And also the membership to have a majority of local members? 50%. That's right? Um, yeah. Okay. Talk me through the rationale behind that and, you know, how do you see that evolving? Well, we wanted to build a body that could speak for the Australian tech ecosystem and so that's why we have provisions for example about 50 percent australian firms i mean obviously 
we actually welcome non-Australian firms as well. And I genuinely believe they're a really important part of the ecosystem. They often bring new innovation, new tech, you know, skills to Australia. And there's no successful, you know, tech ecosystem in the world that doesn't have MNCs as well as Australian firms. So we we see there's a role for both. But we absolutely did also want to be clear that we wanted to see Australian firms present in the membership. So that was the reason for that 50% rule. And in terms of the board, I think for our industry, it's a tough job to be a founder, but we're at a point now in our history where we have some incredible leaders in the tech sector. And so it was important to us in choosing the board to specify that it would be the CEOs and the chairs and founders. And we also allow partners of VC firms. And the reason for that is we wanted to make sure we always brought that hands-on entrepreneurial perspective to the work that we do. And so that's why we've sort of set that provision. But, you know, I found personally that's been a wonderful group of people to be able to work from and to get advice from. And, you know, and I think everyone on the board, even though they have pretty big day jobs and and probably didn't an extra thing on their timetable, they're making the commitment because they care about the industry and they want to give back and they want to make it easier for the people coming up behind them compared to sometimes their own experience of doing it. So I think it's a wonderful element of our board structure. Yeah, it's certainly interesting and it's it's something that will be watched with great interest, you know, not least because obviously we're trying to grow an ecosystem here. We've got, I was going to say several, but many companies now that are demonstrating that you can drive a global business out of this country. I would say Sydney in particular, but you know, others would argue other places in Australia. So, and what we see now in the ecosystem, even though that, you know, it's fragmented in parts, is so vastly different to what we saw five to ten years ago we just didn't have it and this is another pillar in supporting the ecosystem i would say and this is something that i'm kind of interested to watch is that companies like afterpay you know all of those big successful companies they're kind of globalist companies as opposed to you know they're australian they're born global and and mixing in a global world and i find that you know certainly interesting and we'll, we'll love to watch that Okay, when you launched a couple of weeks ago, you launched with a an Accenture report on the opportunity and made some recommendations on the steps that might need to be taken to realise that opportunity. You came out with some big numbers. Are you shooting for the moon with that or did you try and place it somewhere within the ballpark that uh, could be reached? Yeah, so... I think they're ambitious but realisable. So basically we found that, as I said, the tech sector activity in Australia is already worth $167 billion today to GDP and that it already employs 861,000 people in tech-related jobs. In fact, a software engineer is now a more common occupation in Australia than a plumber or hairdresser or a secondary school teacher or solicitor. So that's our starting point, right? So if I say we want to hit a million jobs, remember we're starting at 861,000, okay? And the reason we set the goals we did, which was that 1 million jobs by 2025 and 250 billion in GDP by 2030, was we benchmarked Australia against some other countries like Canada, the US, the UK. And even though we've made that great progress that you referred to in the last decade in particular, we still don't have as big a direct tech sector as some of those other peers, right? And maybe, you know, I think if we benchmarked ourselves against the US, we'd be shooting for the stars because obviously they've had many, many decades of building, you know, an IT industry. But I don't think it's shooting for the stars to say we could be as big as Canada because Canada's got a really similar economy to ours. It's, you know, weighted to mining and ag as well as ours. It's a similar size, similar kind of socioeconomic split. So 
there's no reason we couldn't be Canada. And if we were able to grow our direct tax sector activity to the same share of GDP as Canada, then we'd hit that 1 million jobs goal by 2025, as well as hitting the gross goal. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess if you don't have targets, you're never going to hit one, are you? Well, also, I think that there tends to be an underestimation of what the sector is capable of, in a sense. Like, I don't think people truly appreciate it already contributes as much jobs as it does. So one reason we want to set the target is we think that it's a really constructive benefit to give back to Australia and, you know, we want to create that many jobs and, and give people that opportunity. But I guess we also want to reinforce this is actually what the sector is going to do to some extent in a BAU process. And so as a nation, we had to be planning for a world where so many people are working in those jobs and making sure we've got pathways into them and people know about them and get excited about working there. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about creating narratives these days, but it is true. If the sector has lacked something, I suppose it's this one fundamental horizontal narrative across the economy that enables, you know, you paint a picture for either kids coming through in school or or whatever it is, entrepreneurs coming through. Okay, so strategically for the Tech Council, where do you start? I think we had spoken on the phone a couple of weeks ago and you mentioned, you know, just trying to lift the profile of the opportunity to build that narrative. So how are you doing that? And where are you looking first? Where do you want your message to land? Well, I think we just saw that there was an onus on the industry to set a positive goal for the industry. And so that's why we came out at launch with the jobs goal, the 1 million jobs goal, the growth goal, and and the goal of making Australia the best place to start um, scaling a company. And then we've also come up with a 10-point plan for how we think that needs to be done. And that goes to getting the tax and investment settings right. It goes to getting the skills and migration and job settings right. It goes to getting the regulatory setting right. And so basically what we're doing now is meeting with lots of different people in government on both sides of politics as well as the state and federal level and talking people through what we see as the opportunity, what we see as the goals and seeking people's endorsement of those and then also kind of working through pragmatically how do we think we'll get there. And I've got to say there's been a really great reception to the goals and as you said, even at launch, we had multiple ministers on different sides of politics coming out in support for them. So I think that's just a step forward, actually. If we can all agree as a country what we want to achieve from the sector, then that's a really good starting point. And then our second question is, how do we get there? And for that, you know, as I said, we're working constructively with lots of parts of government now. There's obviously a lot of significant reviews on foot in many ways. So we're kind of working through those specific issues as well. We also see a role for the Tech Council in publishing more research, like I think sometimes. So I'm doing a piece of work now looking at skill shortages in the area because that's obviously probably the biggest issue for all our members is trying to find workers and not aided by borders being restricted and, and probably restricted for some time. So we want to do a piece of work so we can really explain the impact of that and we can sit down with governments and work out how we manage it. Uh, and then engagement, like I'm a big believer that bringing people together is actually the best way to get understanding. So we think there's a role for the Tech Council and bringing decision makers and different parts of the ecosystem together so we can hopefully try to work through, you know, how we hit that jobs target and growth target. If you have to rate one issue that above all else, is this what you're saying, that skills, access to talent, access to offshore talent is the number one thing right now? I would say yes, because I just think that in our industry, people are so critical to success and we've had this perfect storm of issues where the sector created 
65,000 jobs during the pandemic, right? So second only behind retail as a jobs creator, already had skill shortages going into the pandemic and then we've had borders closed and that has also limited just the flow of talent into the country. And it's like if you talk to any firm in the sector now, this is consequently their biggest pain point. And I think it really matters because it's not just that these firms are the engine room of growth. And I have so many of my members saying, I want to hire 45 people. I want to increase my hiring by 20%. Like there's all these people trying to create jobs and the break though on that job creation growth in some ways is just not having the people to fill them. So yeah, I do. I think it's really, really critical to solve. I don't know if you've done any thinking on this or have any policy formulations, but for a long time now, we've had difficulty attracting local students into STEM degrees, but particularly into computer science degrees. And I mean, I know that when we talk about access to talent, we talk about access to the kind of talent that you need to grow an industry. You don't get it by putting undergraduates through only, like it helps obviously, but there are certain classifications of global talent that you simply don't get to use. But how do you attract a greater proportion of our best and brightest kids into those roles? And if they're not taking them now, what would you do to make them take or to attract them to? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the first thing we have to do as an industry is just get better at explaining what the jobs are. So I'm actually doing a piece of work on this now. But, you know, for example... A really common job is product manager, which is a cool job that combines you know, business skills and nows and commercial thinking with some technical skills, right? And really creative job, commercial job, but, you know, also satisfying job. And I think if people think they're going into a product manager job, because sometimes that will attract a broader pool of people than if they think they're going into a software engineer job. You know, similarly, I know I ran a data analytics firm, right? So we were constantly trying to figure out, you know, innovative ways of hiring. And one thing I figured out was that physics students were amazing coders, right? Mostly because most university degrees now teach coding for any degree that has a statistical component rather than necessarily just doing a software program. And I also discovered physics students were just amazing first principles problem solvers, right? So I was like, great, I'm just going to start hiring more physics grads into my economics and data firm because they're super cool, right? And that's just this whole pool of people we hadn't thought about. I think psychology, right? If you want to get more women in, a lot of women study psychology. It's a degree that teaches statistics. People may well be learning coding skills now. So that's like a future pool of potential data scientists. And, you know, people also, by the way, who studied human behavior and, you know, other sort of pieces of knowledge that can be useful to doing that work. So I think some of it is just us as an industry, better explaining what we do, why it's cool, explaining the different pathways into it, opening our own minds about the pools of people that we can draw on. I think that it's actually a first step. And then I think there's a broader piece of work to work with training providers and governments and employment programs over the long term. I think it's also helping people understand when they can transition from other industries. So there's lots of jobs in marketing and sales and legal and HR, lots of jobs that aren't necessarily just software engineering jobs. So I think it's also about helping people understand how the great experience they've earned in another industry can be ported into tech. Yeah, I think it's one of the great issues of our time. Maybe it's just defining those roles and you know, getting people to understand it better. Look, I'm going to start drawing it to a close. Kate Pounder, Chief Executive of the Tech Council of Australia. But I wanted to give you an opportunity as the new CEO of a powerful peak body to critique our government. 
How do you think this government, the Australian government, is performing in our area, the large generic industry that we've been talking about? I guess, as we've noted, it's an incredibly exciting time right now. There is a lot going on. There's a lot of success. There's a lot of people out there doing interesting things, certainly compared to five or 10 years ago. The ideas boom, Malcolm Turnbull's National Innovation and Science Agenda kind of got a national conversation going. So I guess my question to you is that the level of that national conversation seems to have diminished at that top layer of politicians, and yet the industry seems to be kicking along. So you have to give the government a report card. What does it look like? Look, I actually think there are a lot of people in the government and also on the Labor side of politics who do want the tech sectors to succeed and think that tech has a lot of potential for Australia. You know, I think that the Prime Minister, say, is a huge fan of the possibility of tech for small businesses. I've been a big supporter of that. And I think that's super important. I actually think it's something we're amazing at in Australia. If you look at the kind of software as a service products we make, for example, so much of it is made for small business, right? And that's a really positive story. So I think there's, you know, reforms going on now right across the government, many of which are, are positive for the sector. So I actually think we're starting in a good place with the government. And I think equally the opposition, both sides of politics actually do want to see the sector succeed. I think we have a job as an industry to give them a reason why, you know, I think that's why we have to explain we're creating 65,000 jobs in a year and employing 860,000 people in total. We want to hit 1 million jobs because the more we do that and the more we give both politicians and the community a reason to value us, the more people will invest in us and and then we can sit down and work out how to make that more successful and make sure everyone benefits, whether that's a small business adopting tech, the people getting jobs, the founders creating companies. That's really how I see it. I'm going to ask you one final question. I had spoken to Alex McCauley, the former uh, CEO of Startup Oz, which I mean, I don't think you could even say Startup Oz evolved into this organisation. It really is a different beast. But Alex was obviously a, you know, a key driver. I'm wondering, you taking on this role, it's an exciting challenge, but how long did you consider it? And why take the role? It's a big job to do. I considered it for like five seconds and said yes, like honestly, because I just knew this is an incredibly cool and important opportunity for the industry. Like I think we are producing so many amazing companies in Australia. Our sector's doing some wonderful things that go beyond just creating jobs and economy. It actually is making incredible tech that's really transformative, say, for small business and exporting and growing. You know, every time I go and talk to my members, they're doing such wonderful things. So really exciting moment for the industry and a great industry to be part of. I'd love to help support it to grow. I'd love to help build that constructive relationship with government. And I guess as someone who's worked in the industry my whole career, it's kind of exciting for me to get to give back. So yeah, five seconds. But Alex is still involved. He's actually still an executive director and has been a wonderful support through the process. I love it. Okay, fantastic. I love the enthusiasm and uh, we will be uh, keeping in close contact. That sounds good. Can I say one thing, actually? This this isn't, it's not a critique of government, but it's more what I see as the opportunity. Like, I think we have created this great wave of success and we have an opportunity now to build on that. And particularly as we come out of the pandemic, which has been a really tough time for a lot of Australians, I actually think people want something hopeful. Like, they want some good news. They want to see jobs created. They want to try and return to a sense of normality. And I think as a sector, we can be part of that as well, whether that's because the tech people have adopted has helped them stay open and keep their businesses going. Going and now they can kind of hopefully reopen once we can get through lockdowns, you know, whether it's having those new jobs for people to go into. Like I would like to be part of that story as well. And I think we can be. 
Okay, I think you've given me permission to carry on this conversation for just a little bit longer. How are you going with your new powerful voice getting involved in the national conversation about not post-pandemic, but the what the economy looks like in the post-pandemic world? And in particular, you know, obviously there's the industry that we've been talking about, but in areas like emerging tech, where Australia has shown some promise, but they're long-term deep tech projects. Quantum's obviously one of them or in areas like critical minerals processing. might not be directly related to your area, but obviously Robin Denham is chair of Tesla, which could be an enormous customer of Australian critical minerals. So how have you gone getting involved in that conversation? We're having lots of conversations now with government about it because I think that there really is an incredible opportunity for Australia post-pandemic to work out what is it that we want to hold constant in our economy and our work, particularly where we've changed some things now, whether that's people adopting tech, for example, in the small business community to stay open. You know, think about how hard it is to keep functioning for a business if you were paper-based and you haven't been able to get into your business, your staff have been remote, things like that, right? You're separated from your accountant. So I think there's actually been some positives and it's good to draw on those. I think last year when we were really at the forefront of managing the health crisis, the economic crisis, we had a lot of great talent come back to Australia. We saw great investment in tech. You know, I think McKinsey has said there's been the, the second and third biggest sectors in terms of market valuation increases during the crisis were high tech and, and electronics globally. So there's been this huge wave of investment globally and we're, we're benefiting from that to an extent. I think though, we have to make sure we hold on to it and then build on it. And particularly things like a more extended border closure, particularly compared to other economies, is one of those things that can start to test talent and test access to investment and test some of those strengths that we've built. So now is sort of the time to sit down with governments and work out how best we manage that and how we use every lever at our disposal to make sure we're still a really attractive place to create companies and that go global and get the best talent and investment. But we're talking to governments about that and I think there'll be some further things we can do together there. Last year when the government's first proposed economic responses to a, the economic recovery were around a gas-led recovery, lots of manufacturing that probably didn't highlight the tech sector in a way that some of your board members would have liked. Do you think that that conversation inside government has changed now? Yeah, I mean, certainly, as you said, at launch, we had videos of support from the Prime Minister and Minister Hume and Minister Porter, as well as um, the opposition leader and at Husek. So I think they wouldn't give us such any support if they didn't see an important role for the sector. And yeah, I can say privately, we've had a really good reception and there's a lot of eagerness. And I think, you know, we all want next year and the year after to be an easier year, ideally, than the last couple of years we've had, right? And I think to do that, we do need to kind of be able to work together to make that happen. As much as I enjoy homeschooling my children, I wouldn't mind getting out to the pub sometime soon. So. There's no correlation between the two, right? No, no, that's right. That's right. Kate Pounder, Chief Executive of the Technology Council of Australia, thanks very much for joining us on the Commercial Disco. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast. Please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please go over to our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our recent stories on tech, innovation, and public policy. Or you can follow us on social media to ask us any questions or be a guest on the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.